First John chapter three. First John three. Well, John started off chapter three by saying that when we consider God's out-of-this-world love for us, and then the future that He's promised us, it motivates believers to continually deal with any conduct, any character, or attitude that isn't like Jesus. It says, every man that has this hope in Him purifies himself even as He is pure. When our hope is in Christ, we're going to be taking a bath each day. We're going to be saying, "I, I don't want these things in my life anymore. Any conduct, character, attitude that isn't like Christ. And John tells us that this is why Jesus became a man, to take away our sins and to destroy the enemy's work in our life. Well, last week we looked at the take away our sins part, and this week we're going to examine how Jesus came to destroy the enemy's work in our lives. And because of that, we must not be deceived, never be deceived, into thinking that it's okay to remain the way we were before we got saved. So, 1 John chapter 3 We pick it up in verse 7. John says, Little children, let no man deceive you. He that does righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that commits sin is of the devil, for the devil sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God does not commit sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever does not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loves not his brother. So, we learned last week in verses 4, 5, and 6 that Jesus was manifested, verse 5, to take away our sins. And now it tells us that he was manifested, he was incarnated, the idea of God becoming a man, so that he could destroy the works of the devil. Verse 7 begins, little children, let no man deceive you. Little children, again, it means born ones. John assumes that he's writing to genuine believers, but even genuine believers can be deceived if they let their guard down. And so he says, don't let your guard down. And so he says, do not be deceived. He that does righteousness is righteous even as he, Jesus, is righteous. It's interesting when he calls us little children or born ones, the idea is he's addressing all of us. John is not just addressing newer believers or immature believers saying, don't be deceived. All believers must be on guard against this kind of false teaching. Now, in his day, the Gnostics taught that it was okay to sin as much as you want with your body as long as you trusted Jesus with your mind. As long as you're following Jesus with your mind, you can do whatever you want with your body. Now, false teachers don't quite phrase it like that today, but that bad doctrine is still around. And so, I encourage you, do not listen to any pastor or teacher, including myself, or counselor or friend who tells you it's okay to disobey God's commands in His Word. Don't listen to them. It's never okay to ignore God's commands in Scripture or to make exceptions for my special circumstances. And so, if you've been giving yourself some exception, then you must remember the truths that are at the end of verse 7 and the beginning of verse 8, because my attitude toward my sin reveals who I'm following. John says, he that does righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that commits sin is of the devil. 
for the devil sins from the beginning. He that does righteousness literally means the one who's habitually doing the right thing, the one whose custom of their life is they do the right thing. The person who is in the habit of obeying God's Word, well, that's evidence they are right with God. That person is becoming more like Jesus day by day, which is the byproduct of genuine salvation. That's what we learned all in chapter 2 when we looked at the three tests. He says, listen, if you're growing in this area, you're growing in obedience, growing in love, and you're embracing the truth of God's Word, hey, then you're His. Rest in the finished work of Christ. We're saying the same thing here. The one who is habitually doing the right thing, that's a byproduct of genuine salvation. You're righteous. You're right with God. In contrast, even as He is righteous, in other words, even as Jesus is obviously in a right relationship with the Father, right? In contrast, he that commits sin, and this again, the one habitually doing the wrong thing, well, that person is of the devil, literally. That person exists from out of the devil. Now, that's an interesting way to phrase things because the devil didn't create anybody, right? I mean, he's not a creator. So what does it mean they exist from out of the devil? Well, even though the devil didn't create anyone, he did influence Adam and Eve to rebel against God. And when my life is characterized by the habit of doing what is wrong, then the thing that's influencing me and operating my life is not Jesus. If that's my life, it's characterized by doing wrong, the wrong things, well then Jesus is not the one operating in my life. Someone else is the one operating in my life. In fact, the person operating in my life is the same person who's operating in every unbeliever. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, it explains our life before Christ. Ephesians 2, verse 1 says, And you, has he quickened, made alive, who were, so this, before you knew Christ, you were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the way of this world. What's the way of this world? Well, it's according to the prince of the power of the air. That's another name for the enemy. It calls him the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation. We all conducted our lives in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. The Bible tells us before we knew Jesus… We were children of disobedience, walking according to the way of this world, according to the way of the enemy. He was the one influencing us. He was the one operating in our lives. And so John says here, if you're still in the habit of doing wrong things, he says, well, then that's still the case. Now, John's words, like I mentioned last week, they are designed to lovingly pack a punch. They're designed to jolt us. He says, I believe you're saved, guys. He calls us little children. I believe that. He goes, but if you're habitually doing what's wrong, you need to get right with God because believers don't live like unbelievers anymore. They don't. Jesus told his followers in John chapter 8 the same exact thing. We studied it last week. He says, you claim to follow me, and that's great only if you will make my words your home are you truly following me. Because he says, right now, you're being influenced by the devil instead of me. Remember this, he said, listen, if you continue in my word, yeah, then you're my disciples indeed, and the truth shall set you free. 
we've never been in bondage to any man. First off, that's a lie. They're literally under the Roman Empire right now when they make those comments. Jesus explains, he goes, the problem is, is that you say you want to follow me, but you also want to kill me. That's a disconnect. That's a contradiction. In the same way, it's a contradiction to say, well, I'm a Christian, but I'm going to cheat on my spouse, or I'm going to live in some type of sin, I'm, I'm, that, or I'm going to excuse this type of sin in my life. That's a contradiction, because Jesus would never say that's okay. Now you say, well, who would say something like that? Well, first off, I've had an individual tell me that Jesus told them it was okay for them to have an affair. Chuckle, but I've heard stranger. The problem is, is that most of us don't wake up in the morning and go, well, Jesus told me I could have an affair. It's much more subtle, but it's just as wicked. And so I ask you, as we begin this section of Scripture this morning, do you want God to remove your sins from your life? Like, we're all different. We all got different battles. We all got different struggles. We've all had different influences in our life. We've all had different things that we've been exposed to in our lives. We have different DNA than, than, than others. There are certain things that I just can't do. Alcoholism runs in my family. It's not something that you can just mess around with. But regardless of what your various struggles are, do you want God to remove them from your life? If not, that should concern you. Because if there's no desire for obedience, if there's no desire for the purity that John mentions in verse 3, that every man who has this hope, I'm going to heaven, I know God loves me, Jesus is in my heart, and everyone who has that hope, if there's no desire for purity, that's the natural reaction, the natural byproduct of someone who understands God's love and Christ is living in their heart. If that's missing, then you need to question, you must question, if you have ever experienced God's love. You must question if you've ever repented of your sins. You must question if you've, if you've ever trusted Christ, like that boy's father in Mark 9 I talked about last week. The boy who said that his son was possessed by a demon, and he came to Jesus, and he said, if there's anything you can do, please have compassion on us. And Jesus is like, I can do more than just anything if you'll just believe. And he fell on his face and he cried out and he said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. He confessed his sin and then put his trust in the Lord. You need to question if you've ever had a moment like that, if there's no desire for purity, or if you don't want God to remove certain sins from your life. People will sometimes ask me, they'll say, Pastor Will, will I go to hell if I do fill in the blank? Seriously, I mean, that's a common question. I I asked it when I was a young believer. I'd be there in youth group, and I'd ask the youth leader, I'd be like, well, you know, will I go to hell if I do this? And this was the big question back then. Is it, it, you know, will I go to hell if you go for second base? (laughs) We ask those questions. People ask me, will I go to hell if I do this, Pastor Will? And I, to which I usually say, if you're willing to risk heaven for any sin, then that reveals that hell is something you should already be concerned about. If you're willing to risk heaven for anything, any sin, there's more of a heart problem going on there than you realize. Heaven and hell aren't about avoiding or doing any particular sin. 
It's about knowing Jesus, right? I mean, that's the whole reason John's writing this, right? Is that we can go deeper with the Lord, right? He's not writing this to be like, all right, if you do this, you're going to hell. And if you don't do this, you know, don't do this, you're going to heaven. That's not his, his focus. He's like, I want your joy to be full. I want you to experience all the, the goodness, like that last song we sang, you know, all, all your goodness. It's like a, a well inside me, the joy of knowing the Lord. That's what it's about. And if you've experienced Jesus' love and you're looking forward to seeing him in heaven, then sin is something to overcome, not something to allow. It's something to overcome. Sin is something to battle against. It's not something to excuse. You know, for Satan, there, there, is, there is no no more battle with sin anymore. It says, for the devil sins from the beginning. There's no battle. Like Satan doesn't wake up and go, I'm going to try to have a better day today. You know, Lord, I know, I know I've, I'm the reason countless people are, are, are away from you, but I'm going to try to do better today. You know, I'm going to try to only deceive, you know, four chief of states today. There's none of that. There's, there's no repentance. There's no desire for godliness, no desire for obedience, no battle with sin. Not anymore. He doesn't care what God wants, and he has been in the business of sinning from the beginning of his fall. When, when Jesus was explaining in John chapter 8 to those people who said, we're going to follow you now, and he's like, all right, well, if you continue in my word, you're my disciples indeed. Then they got offended. And he's like, well, here's the problem. Like, you're, you're still living like your father, the devil. They responded by insulting him. We weren't born of, out of wedlock. We weren't born out of fornication. And so Jesus in John 8, 42, he says, if God were your father, you would love me. Man, let that just settle in your heart, that statement. It's not a complex statement. If God were your father, you would love me. And Jesus, of course, said, if you love me, what? Keep my commandments. If God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Like, if if you love God, then why are you so antagonistic to me? I mean, you come to a place where, because you've seen me do some incredible things, you're like, yeah, we think you're the Messiah, Jesus. Okay? And, and this is the problem, right? Like, I told the Lord today, I said, Lord, let me not say anything stupid. <laughs> so I'm trying really hard. When I, when I wake up and I click on a news feed or look at what someone saying on a social media outlet or something. I, I don't really do the social media thing a whole lot, but the thing that breaks my heart the most, like I just grieve, it just grieves my heart, is when I hear someone say, Jesus is the way, at the same time coming out of their mouth is they're blasting somebody or they're using foul language or they're trying to sell something, or, or they're just completely going against the attitude, the conduct, and the character that, of Jesus. It just grieves my heart. 
because I think to myself, I'm like, I don't, I'm not trying to, I don't think to myself, that person's going to hell. They're the child of the devil. That's, that's not my point. My, my point is, is that there's a misrepresentation of what we're about. There's a misrepresentation of, of, of what we're about. We are not here because we've decided, well, this is the best way. We're not here because we intellectually think, well, this is the best way and we're just better than everybody else. We're here because we want to know Jesus. That's why this, I say weird, like this church exists. Like this is what we're trying to accomplish. Everything we're, we're doing is with the goal and the focus of knowing Jesus better. The whole reason Christ died wasn't so that we could stand up here and be all snarky, and I'm trying not to be snarky now, and to just be like, you guys think Jesus rocks. That's not the point. It's not the point. I can, I can agree all I want with a guy like a Matt Walsh who says that I'm explaining correctly what a woman is, or I'm pointing out the problem with people not understanding what a woman is. You can agree all you want with that, but the dude is obnoxious and he's foul. He does not represent Christ. It got quiet. Half the people you listen to on YouTube, it's like you'll be listening and you're like, oh, okay, this is interesting. You know, he's you know, talking about what his teachers talk about, whatever. And then like halfway through, you get this ad and you're like, I mean, how would that feel like if it was in the middle of a sermon? I'm just like, no, 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 no. Oh, and by the way, do, 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 do. only $19.99 if you just sub. I'm off the, off the rails now. <laughs> Completely off the rails. Freely, freely you have received, freely give. Is it a ministry or is it the way you're going to earn income? So, Pastor Will, you take a salary, yep, and it's all by donation. It's not at all me asking or demanding or offering perks to those who pay. And here's the reality, because, and I say this because I did it for 14 years. I'll do this whether I make a dime or not. And that's not pumping me up, but that's what ministry is. Jesus says, why do you not understand my speech even because you cannot hear my word? You are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your devil you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning. He did not remain in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. This is Satan's business. That's his business. It's what he's about. And when you see that, I don't care what they say. I don't care what they put on the title. I don't care what their claims to what they believe are. If it smells like a wet dog, it's a wet dog. We have a bird. We have two. And the more recent one is far less intelligent than the one we had previously. And she, for some reason, she just likes to sit in her water. Like she just sits there in her water and you just look at her like, what are you doing? She just likes that. I don't know if she likes the cool feeling or something, whatever. The problem is when you're a bird, 
Where you sit is where other things happen. Now, she's happy as could be. And just as happy as could be drinking the water that contains her own poop. Say, why are you bringing that up? (laughs) Because she can look as happy as she wants, but she's drinking her own poop. Can look one way, but something's messed up there. It's a bird brain. Nobody's nobody's mistaking her for intelligent. What are you in the business of doing? That's Satan's business. What are you in the business of doing? Do you care what God wants? And is it your business to please him? Because if the answer is yes, then your claim is proved by being in the battle. It's not that you, you never sin. The idea is that sin is something to be battled. It's something to be overcome, amen? Your claim is proved by being in the battle because someone who is genuinely born again gets why Jesus came. John goes on to say at the end of verse 8, for this purpose was the Son of God manifested that he might destroy the works of the evil one. This is why God the Son stepped out of eternity and into a human body, to destroy the works of the evil one. The word there, destroy, it means to untie us, to set us free, to eliminate or do with what binds us. Okay, so what are the works of the devil then? Well, John 8, told us murder and lies. When did Satan become a murderer? In the garden. He lied to Eve because it says that he, he did not remain in the truth. It means he, he had not been unwavering, immovable, and standing firm in the truth. So he was a murderer and a liar from the beginning, the Scriptures tell us. And so this is the work that our enemy seeks to accomplish in the heart of every human being. His desire is to keep us deceived and as a result, separated from God for all eternity, spiritual death. That's his goal. That's his work, to keep us deceived and as a result, separated from God for all eternity. And that deceptive life that leads to death, it looks like verse 3 of Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. When we talk about His work in us before we're saved, it says we conducted ourselves according to the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. That's what a life under the influence of the enemy looks like. That's His work in our lives. You see, my life once revolved around the cravings of my flesh and the ideas of a mind that was outside the realm of what is true. In other words, I conducted my life based on ideas that came from my own mind that were outside the realm of what is true. We are living in a culture right now that glorifies the ideas of my own mind. It's deception. It's the work of of the enemy. Now, we can look at that and we can get mad and we can get frustrated or we can be broken hard and get in our face and cry out for this generation. Because the reality is they're deceived. Let me ask you a question. I had to confront this in my own heart this week. What if some dude walked in here with hair down, whatever, looking like a woman, and not that long hair is evil, so, but the idea of being very womanly, 
looking very womanly, had his fingernails all painted and everything, how would you respond? Hide the women and children. Well, let me ask you a question. Where's they going to find truth? It's not going to be out there. It's not going to be in here. And if our heart is to be, well, they need to come to their senses before they come in here, well, then we're not going to accomplish our goal. Say, that makes me uncomfortable, Pastor Will. Welcome to Christianity because you're no different. And we let you in. The very fact that I'm standing here right now, I mean, just, it's no different. Jesus let me in, and that amazes me every day. I get so frustrated when I see things like this because it seems so nonsensical to me. But is it really any different than all of us in the 80s with our tight pants and spandex and watching hair bands? I do this every once in a while. I'm an 80s guy, all right, just how it was. I got saved. I listened to a ton of, like, 80s metal and all that kind of stuff. So when I got saved, it was like, I need some new input. So it was all the Christian 80s hair bands. So every once in a while, when I'm just, the kids are in bed, Bev might crash, you know, early or something, I'll break out some good old-fashioned Christian 80s music. I was looking at watching a video on YouTube, and I was like, oh, my gosh. They don't look any different than some of these young people do today. Man, they love Jesus. They were new to their faith. They were so excited to sing songs about Jesus, to tell other people about the Jesus they found. No different than all the hippies who got saved in the Jesus movement. Jesus came to destroy all this. He came to rescue people from that. He rescued you from that. John 12, 31, he said, the prince of this world comes to, he says, but I'm going to cast him out. That was Jesus' plan. It's still Jesus' plan. He wants to set people free. That's why he's called us to engage, to go out into the highways and the byways and bring them in. It's not to huddle down and be like, all right, we've got to protect what we have, or we've got to hunker down until Jesus comes back. That is not our calling. It's not our mission. Jesus came to destroy the work of the enemy, and the enemy is working very hard and having a lot of success right now. Jesus came to give me spiritual life and thus to restore my relationship with God. But Jesus also came. He also came to set me free from a life that's enslaved to my fleshly cravings and my deceived ideas. That's why it's so important to learn and apply Jesus' words. It's why what you're doing right now is important. Because by making Jesus my home, his words become the replacement for my own ideas. His spirit becomes the replacement for my wicked cravings. And as a result, my life is one of progressive change. And that change means I won't be like Ephesians 2.3 anymore. 1 John 1.9, whosoever is born of God does not commit sin. Now you read that and you're like, I'm in trouble. But John's clear. No one gets an exemption from this. Whosoever, remember, mentioned last week, John uses that word for everyone so that no one thinks, well, that's, I'm exempt from this. Whosoever is born of God, the one, literally it means the one who has been begotten and remains a child of God, a child from out of God. Remember we talked about the, those who are from out of the enemy under his influence? 
Well, those of us who have been begotten, we are from out of God now. We've been born again. We are no longer a child of the enemy. And so therefore it says he does not commit sin. Brings up a good question. What is a believer? What is a believer? Like if someone were to ask you that question, how would you answer it? In John chapter 3, Jesus explained it really clearly. He said to Nicodemus when he was coming to him with all his questions, Jesus said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born again when he's old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, which means pay attention, this is true. I say unto you, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, natural birth, spiritual birth, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, natural birth. And the only thing it's going to produce is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Don't be surprised, he says, that I said to you, you must be born again. He understood this concept. He was a teacher of Israel. He understood the concept of a Gentile becoming a proselyte, someone who followed Jehovah, that they would get baptized and their old life would die, and they would, the idea is that baptism would symbolize that now they were following the Lord. Their old Gentile life of living for idols and living for sin and living for self was gone. The problem that the Nicodemus, he couldn't understand is, why are you telling me I need to be baptized? Why are you telling me I need to be born again? I'm, a, I'm an Israelite. And that was Jesus' point. Unless you're born again, you're not going to heaven. A believer is someone who's born again. In Romans chapter 8, verse 9, it, it defines it again really clearly. Romans 8, verse 9, it, it talks about the, the spirit and the flesh. It says, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if any man does not have the spirit of Christ, he doesn't belong to him. The most basic definition of a Christian is someone in whom the Holy Spirit lives, that Jesus lives, someone in whom God dwells. That's the most basic definition in the Bible of a Christian. When a person repents of their sins and places their trust in Christ and His finished work on the cross, God does something supernatural. We are spiritually reborn. God's Spirit dwells inside that person. It's the most basic definition of a believer in the Scripture, and it impacts how we behave. It says that person that's been born again, they do not commit sin. Now, again, this phrase does not commit. It's not, they don't ever sin. They don't ever fall short. The idea is does not have the habit of doing sin. The person who is spiritually reborn, who's in a right relationship with God, who has the Holy Spirit living inside of them is not going to have the habit of doing sin. They're going to be in the habit of obeying God. Why? John tells us, for his seed remains in him. Now, the word seed is used throughout the New Testament to refer to Abraham's descendants, and in particular, Jesus being the seed of Abraham. Now, it's also used for the, the word for the, in the parable of the sower to refer to the word of God, right? The sower sows the seed, and that's the word of God. It's also used in the parable of the wheat and tares to refer to true believers. They are the true seed that was sown. Overarching, we see in the New Testament, it refers to Abraham's descendants, and in particular, Jesus. Well, 
when it says here for his seed, the word his here is an intensive pronoun which places emphasis on the most recent noun, which is the word God, which whosoever is born of God, the personal, a personal noun there. His seed, God's seed. Jesus. When we're born again, Jesus makes his home in us. And Jesus doesn't leave us. Jesus prayed the night before he died. He said, I and you and you and me and us and them. And he tells us in John 17, 23, that that's his desire. In verse 23, I and them and thou and me that they, be made, that they may be made perfect in one. What does that mean, to be made perfect in one? In other words, the word perfect means to maturity, full maturity. The idea is that he stays until the job is done. Jesus makes his home in us when, we're, when we confess Christ. We turn from our sin. He makes his home in us and he stays. He stays until the job is done when he returns or we pass from this life into heaven. And his work in us, because he's in us, his work in us empowers every believer to be different. And so John can say, and therefore he cannot sin because he is born of God. The phrase he cannot means he's not empowered. Like Jesus doesn't live in us to empower us or enable us to sin more. You know, I can't wake up and go, well, you know what? I'm a a Christian. I'm a believer. All my sins are forgiven. So it's okay if I do this. That's never going to be the way Jesus operates in your life. You're not going to wake up and the Lord's going to be there going, well, Will, I'm going to strengthen you so you can continue just the way you are today. No. He's going to go, Will, I want to work in you today. And I, I have the power to overcome. So yield all these things to me so I can work in your life and I can change you. Amen? Jesus empowers us to be changed to obey God more and more as we yield to Him and allow Him to live through us. Therefore, we must conclude that every person who is born again is not going to still look like a child of the devil. Instead, just like we took after the devil when we weren't a believer, now that we're born again, we're going to take after Jesus. Which is why John can make the conclusion he does in verse 10. That having the habit of sin is the mark of a child of the devil, and having the habit of obedience is the mark of a child of God. In this, he says, the children of God are manifest. Everything we learned in verses 7 through 9, in this, this teaching, this is how the children of God are manifest. Just as God was unveiled to the world through the incarnation, God's kids are unveiled to the world by their habit of obedience. And the devil's kids are unveiled to the world by their habit of disobedience. In this, the children of God are manifest and the children of the devil. Whosoever does not righteousness is not of God. Again, John reminds us one last time that his words apply to everyone. Whosoever is not in the habit of doing what is right. Righteousness is what is right, that which matches God's standards in his word. If, if that's the characteristic of your life, is not righteousness, then he says you're not born again. You're not from out of God. And then he also adds this, neither he that does not love his brother. And, and John adds this thought at the end here to segue from his discussion on obedience to starting an, another discussion on loving others. So we're going to leave that topic of loving others for next time. But suffice it to say, for now, that loving our neighbor is one of God's commands that we need to obey. Like you go, I don't have to love that person. Well, that's a problem. If you're born again, 
Jesus is going to tell you, you need to love that person. I'll help you do it. Loving others is the second greatest commandment after loving God supremely. So, what is your habit? Is it obedience? Is it disobedience? Think about that as the worship team comes up to close us out. What's your habit? Are you in the process of changing to become less like the devil and more like Jesus? Or do you not see the need to change or do you not have motivation to change? Believers change. Oh, we could wrestle with God at times, but the one who lives inside of us doesn't let us get away with it. And he'll take our hip out of joint if necessary, right? Just like he did with Jacob. But in the end, the evidence that we're his is plain. If that describes you, you're becoming more like Jesus, experiencing his power in your life, his discipline in your life. If that's you, then rejoice. You're a child of God. Rest assured of your salvation so you can keep making Jesus your home. Keep learning God's word and keep letting the Holy Spirit change you, being convinced that he will never leave you or forsake you. But if you're here this morning and maybe you're a little concerned, maybe your seat's a little hot because you haven't been seeing a need to change or maybe you've been lacking the motivation to change, well, then you need to repent because you've either hardened your heart to Jesus' work or you've never known Jesus. And either place is a bad spot to be in. John doesn't want you to be there. It's why he wrote these things. He wants your joy to be full as you're going deeper with Jesus. So receive his correction, receive his good words, repent, and then go deeper with the Lord. Amen? Let's all stand. Oh, Lord, your word is good. It's, it's good medicine. We think faithful are the wounds of a friend, and Lord, we know that John was thought of as the apostle of love, but man, he's being serious with us. But Lord, we recognize that you, by your spirit, you, you breathe those words into, into him to share with us. Now they're part of your word. So Lord, we want to receive them as from you. Just like Jesus urged those people who said, yeah, we believe you're the Messiah. He's like, all right, continue in my words. So we don't want to we don't want to be those who make a declaration over here on the left side, but on the right side, our behavior is completely opposite of our declaration. We don't want to be those who we check all the boxes, we believe all the right things, and then our lives just don't match up to it at all. So, Lord, for those this morning who maybe they're seeing a disconnect between their, their statement of faith, per se, and, and the statement of their life, or then draw them with your bands of loving kindness to repentance, Lord. Lord, remind everyone here that you love them and that you correct those you love. You discipline those you love. And then, Lord, for those that maybe the enemy is frequently beating them up over the the struggles they have, Lord, remind them that if they're in the battle, if they do want to change, they they don't want to just stay in sin, Lord, well, then that's evidence they're, they're yours. And I pray that you would help them to have confidence in that, to give them assurance of their salvation, Lord so they can go deeper with you. In Jesus' name, amen.